I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we'll be reading 1 Samuel chapters 18 through 20, and then we'll, in addition to that, be reading a couple of the Psalms that fit into the timeline, Psalm 11 and Psalm 59. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, we find that David and Jonathan become quite close here. Verse 1, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Well, in these first five verses, we see that David, he's just led the Israeli army to victory over the Philistines with his defeat over Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And good things happen when you slay a giant. Immediately following David's victory appearance, having killed Goliath, as he appears before Saul, the king's son, Jonathan, is endeared to David, even makes him a blood brother, has a makes a covenant with him. Jonathan seals the covenant by awarding David with his own complete set of clothing as a token of that covenant, even includes his sword. And Saul places David over Israel's men of war. So one day, David is delivering supplies to the front where his brothers are fighting Philistines. The next thing he knows, he's commander of the whole army. Oh, what a country. But then you got those women songwriters. They can be a problem in verses 6 through 15 of 1 Samuel chapter 18. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him, and made him his captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. 
Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. After a great victory over Goliath and the Philistines, it's time to head back home, a highlight for the soldiers and especially the victorious king. Saul rides in as the women break out in spontaneous songs of glorious victory, praising the king and his army. Those lyrics, though, as it turns out, were insulting to King Saul. Here's why. They ascribe the greater glory to David rather than to Saul. Verse 9 says, And Saul eyed David from that day forward. The Hebrew word for eyed there means to view with jealousy. Whoa, you get a new job, and already your boss is out to get you. The next day, David is playing his music when Saul tries to run him through with his javelin. As a matter of fact, verse 11 seems to indicate that this happened twice. Again, the Hebrew word for the spirit that came upon Saul doesn't mean evil in the context of wicked, but rather it was a troubling or adverse spirit that came upon Saul. I'll say it was mental illness like paranoid schizophrenia. He had it ever since Samuel turned thumbs down on him over his kingship back when he anointed David as the next king back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1-13. through 13. It's first mentioned in 1 Samuel 16, 14. Nonetheless, Saul still thinks he's the king. And so do the people of Israel, as a matter of fact. 1 Samuel 18, 12 sums up Saul's reality. It says, And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. So Saul puts David on active duty in charge of a battalion of fighting men. A dangerous job like that will surely get him killed. Not. Continuing battle success just endears David to the people of Israel. Well, not counting Saul, of course. Then we find a great ploy to get rid of David, beginning with verse 16 down through verse 30 of chapter 18. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. And Saul said to David, Behold my elder daughter Mirab, her will I give thee to wife, only be thou valiant for me, and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. And David said unto Saul, Who am I, and what is my life? Or my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? That it came to pass, at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Mahalophite, to wife. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. And Saul commanded his servants, saying, Commune with David secretly, and say, Behold, the king hath delight in thee, and all his servants love thee. Now therefore be the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spake those words in the ears of David. And David said, Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, On this manner spake David. And Saul said, Thus shall ye say to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. 
But Saul fought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew the Philistines two hundred men. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full tale to the king, that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass, after they went forth, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. So Saul says, here, take my daughter to be your wife. David says, not worthy, no dowry to pay. Well, Saul has this ingenious idea. How about bringing the foreskins of a hundred Philistines for a dowry? I mean, yuck, yuck, double yuck. I mean, killing is one thing, but then, ah. Well, Saul knows how hard it is to skin a Philistine, certain death for David. It's a suicide mission as far as Saul's concerned. Well, Saul, you better go ahead and get your glass case ready for your new collection because David, he's going to make it happen. Oh, better make that two glass cases, by the way, because David didn't know when to stop. He brings back 200, not 100. So David becomes Saul's son-in-law, and Saul hates him. Not the ideal father-son-in-law relationship, I'd say. So maybe the suicide mission didn't work as Saul planned. But here's Saul's new plan involving his daughter, Michael, in verse 21. He says, I will give him her that she may be a snare to him. Well, here's the problem with that plan. Michael, Saul's daughter, and David's new bride, she loves him. That's a really good start. And David, by the way, continues to excel in battle, and his reputation just continues to grow. Now, a couple of additional points are in order here. First of all, as Michael's husband, David now has a legitimate claim to Saul's throne. Of course, that's after Saul's sons, but a claim nonetheless. The second point may be more interesting than perhaps relevant. According to the Jewish Study Bible, verses 20 and 28 contain the only two references in the Old Testament of a woman actually loving a man. Now we come to 1 Samuel chapter 19. And we find here that at least not everybody wants David dead. Verse 1. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hand, and slew the Philistine. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. 
thou sawest it and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul sware, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter. And they fled before him. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul, as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David, even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. And when the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Michael, Why hast thou deceived me so, and sent away mine enemy, that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said unto me, Let me go, why should I kill thee? So David fled and escaped, and came to Samuel to Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then went he also to Ramah, and came to a great wall that is in Siku. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Naoth in Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say, Is Saul also among the prophets? Well, let's face it, it's kind of tough when the king's been on your death, but at least when the king's son and heir apparent Jonathan wants you to live, well, that's got to be some sort of a plus. Saul even makes a vow an oath in First Samuel 19.6. It says, And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swear, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. Now you recall how sacred these vows were to the Israelites. An oath was an oath. Back then you just didn't break an oath. Come to think of it, Saul broke an ill-conceived vow or oath when he spared Jonathan's life back in First Samuel chapter 14, verses 24 to 46. 
Remember that uh, honey episode back there? Anyway, for now, Jonathan arranges for David to be returned back to good standing with Saul. However, this good standing didn't seem to last very long before David has great success in battle against the Philistines again, and Saul's resentment toward David just intensifies. Well, just forget the vow. After Saul has another bout with that evil spirit in verse 9, it's followed by a near miss from Saul's javelin in verse 10. And David, at that point, flees from Saul. Well, and then there's Michael, Saul's daughter. David won her fair and square, by the way. And she loved David, if you recall. She wants David alive and well. Knowing that Saul has sent for David to bring him in for execution, she helps David escape and does the old fake-a-person-in-the-bed trick on Saul's men, using, of all things, a family idol and some fake hair from a goat. Hey, aren't those things, those idols, supposed to be bad for you? The messengers return to Saul with his message from Saul's daughter. David can't come in to be executed today. He's just too sick. That's when the story becomes even more amusing. Saul tells the messengers to go ahead and bring the whole bed back with David on it. Saul himself will do the slaying. Apparently, they got the bed all the way back to Saul without realizing that they were carrying an idol's head with a goat's hair wig. Well, Saul makes the discovery and rebukes Michael for deceiving him. But Michael covers her tracks by adding yet another line, verse 17. She said that David threatened to kill her if she didn't help him escape. So David escapes to uh, Samuel's place, which was a prophet's college established by Samuel near Ramah at a place called Naoth. Saul sends three sets of messengers, one group after another, to fetch David and bring him back for execution. Instead, they all get caught up in prophesying and fail to return. Then Saul himself heads for Naoth. He also breaks into prophesying, naked all night, all night prophesying. Just tell me where you get a better storyline than 1 Samuel 19. Sometimes reality is just more interesting than fiction. By the way, this wasn't Saul's first bout with prophesying. You'll recall a similar incident nearly 40 years earlier when he was called by Samuel to be king of Israel back in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 10 through 12. Those are some harsh words to your son there, Saul. We're going to see those words to Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. And David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity and what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? And he said unto him, God forbid, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing either great or small, but that he will show it to me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. And David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat, but let me go, that I may hide myself in the field unto the third day at even. 
If thy father at all miss me, then say, David earnestly ask leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he say thus, it is well, thy servant shall have peace. But if he be very wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee, notwithstanding, if there be in me iniquity, slay me thyself, for why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from thee, for if I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon thee, then would not I tell to thee? Then said David to Jonathan, Who shall tell me? Or what if thy father answer thee roughly? And Jonathan said unto David, Come and let us go out into the field. And they went out, both of them, into the field. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow any time, or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I then send not unto thee, and show it thee, the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan." But if it please my father to do thee evil, then I will show it thee and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. And thou shalt not only, while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth." So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again, because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and thou shalt be missed, because thy seat will be empty. And when thou hast stayed three days, then thou shalt go down quickly, and come to the place where thou didst hide thyself when the business was in hand, and shalt remain by the stone Ezel. And I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send a lad, saying, Go find out the arrows. If I expressly say unto the lad, Behold, the arrows are on this side of thee, take them, then come thou, for there is peace to thee, and no hurt as the Lord liveth. But if I say thus unto the young man, Behold, the arrows are beyond thee, go thy way, for the Lord hath sent thee away. And as touching the matter of which thou and I have spoken, behold, the Lord be between thee and me forever. So David himself in the field, and when the new moon was come, the king sat him down to eat meat. And the king sat upon his seat as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought something hath befallen him. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. And it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty, and Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet, neither yesterday nor today? 
And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, Let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath a sacrifice in the city, and my brother, he hath commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren, therefore he cometh not into the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. And it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad with him. And he said unto his lad, Run, find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot the arrow beyond him. And when the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond thee? And Jonathan cried after the lad, Make speed, haste, stay not. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the lad knew not anything, only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his artillery unto his lad, and said unto him, Go carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south, and fell on his face to the ground, and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another, and wept with one another, until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Well, it's interesting to me that David doesn't seem to know that Saul's already made some serious attempts at killing David. Look what he says in verse 2. God forbid, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Well, Jonathan determines to take care of David with regard to his dad's strong desire to seem dead. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 4. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. Jonathan pledges his friendship to David. He also requires of David preferred treatment for himself and his family after David is in a position to do so. That's in verse 15. Obviously, Jonathan realizes that a kingship is, in fact, in David's future. How else do you explain all of David's near-death experiences? You know those big family dinners where everybody sits around the table and just fellowships? Well, it's the beginning of the month and time for one of those in Saul's house. That's according to Numbers chapter 28, verses 11 through 15, that tradition. 
It takes some of the fun out of it when your father-in-law is devising ways to kill you. On the first day of the feast, Saul assumes that David's absence must have something to do with the unclean rule found over in Leviticus chapter 15, verses 16 through 18. However, Jonathan and David had determined it best if David skips the meals and both conspire a little cover story. Well, it's a lie, actually, to account for David's absence on the second day. Well, it's a cover story that involves family obligations back in Bethlehem. Now, it's hard to have a conversation with Saul about David without Saul getting a little, well, you know, testy. And when Saul finds out that Jonathan is a party to David's absence, he lets loose some pretty strong language on Jonathan. Even throws the ultimate insult at Jonathan's mama in verse 30 when he says of Jonathan, thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Watch it, Saul. That's your wife you're talking about there. Saul angrily tells Jonathan that he ought to want David dead as well. No kingdom for Jonathan as long as David lives. That's in verse 31. Then he hurls his javelin at Jonathan. Now, it seems to me that Saul's really in need of some anger management classes. Has Saul ever really hit anything with that javelin, I wonder? Jonathan goes to meet David out in the field to deliver the bad news. And here's the bad news. My dad really, really hates you. But David and Jonathan seal a deal between themselves in verse 42 where it says, And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Now, let's see. Since Samuel anointed David king of Israel back in 1 Samuel 16, life hasn't really rolled along that smoothly for David, wouldn't you agree? Yet it was God who selected David. There's a lesson for us in this process. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, this. He said, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. So here's the lesson. The road to God's will for your life isn't always paved. Or to state it plainly, obeying God's will in your life does not mean that you won't have adversity in the process. Well, David certainly had his adversity on the way to his crown. In Psalm chapter 11, we find that God loves the righteous. This seems to float along about the same time frame as what we're reading here in 1 Samuel. Psalm 11, verse 1. It's to the chief musician, by the way, a psalm of David. It says in the subtitle, verse 1, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountains? For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the fountains be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes, behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. 
Well, while it's impossible to say for certain, it's likely that David wrote the psalm while Saul was seeking his death. Hmm. I wonder who's the righteous and who's the wicked about whom David speaks in this passage. Well, regardless, God has a special punishment in store for the wicked. And that brings us to Psalm 59, where we read in the subtitle to the chief musician, Altasketh, Mictum of David, when Saul sent, and they watched the house to kill him. Verse 1. Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity, and save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me, and behold, thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. For who, say they, doth hear? But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power, and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride, and for cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath, consume them, that they may not be, and let them know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth, Selah. And at evening let them return, and let them make a noise like a dog, and go round about the city. Let them wander up and down for meat, and grudge if they be not satisfied. But I will sing of thy power, yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing, for God is my defense and the God of my mercy. According to the subtitle of this psalm, the occasion that probably inspired this psalm is found in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 11 through 18, the passage we just looked at a few moments ago. Saul, you recall, sent messengers to David's house to kill him. But Michael, David's wife and King Saul's daughter, well, she helped David escape. So David had descended in Saul's kingdom from army commander to a fugitive. Now, how's that for a setting to write poetry? So when David asked God to deliver him from his enemies, he's actually talking about Saul's messengers. Perhaps that's why David asked God not to kill them in verse 11. However, ultimately, our lives are, in fact, in God's hands. And that's a fact that David acknowledges in verse 17 when he says, Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing, for God is my defense and the God of my mercy. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. 
The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.